welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We've actually tried to do this one on two other occasions, but for whatever reason, the audio got messed up. Uh, So here we are. Hopefully we get lucky number three, but this is our Hockey Dads episode where I have my dad, Bobby Scott, on. Jeff has his dad, Phil Lavecchio, on, and we're going to reminisce, talk about some memories, talk about what it's like to be a father and a son in this crazy, crazy hockey world. Uh, but before we do get to that stuff, let's bring on the major talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lovechkio. Bex, what's going on today? Not much, brother. Another beautiful day here in sunny St. Louis. It's actually sunny here, too. It's like 55 degrees today. Ooh, that's actually nicer than it was here. <laughs> See ya. Good, right, would, you like to, uh, would you like to introduce Philly Cheese Pops? The man, the myth, and the legend? Yeah. Uh, Philly cheese, legit, no, no joke at all. He's actually called the King in St. Louis. Like every ref in St. Louis calls my dad, the King. It's actually hilarious. I'll be coaching a game. The refs will come up to shake our hands. Like, you the King's boy. And I'm like, yeah. And this has been going on since I was like 10 years old. <laughs> so pretty funny. Um, my dad, absolute beauty, uh, <laughs> in the box. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a quoted famous saying to put guys in the box here, but, um, very, very interesting, cool human being has been an entrepreneur the whole time I've been born, I think, or very close, owned his own business while refing literally a billion games. Uh, and I do mean literally actually a billion. Uh, he was the president of Missouri hockey for a while. He ref world juniors. He ref the CCHA, he ref major juniors, guy refed everywhere, IHL, everywhere. My dad, Philly Cheese, say hi to the peeps. Hi, boys. <laughs> what's up all right there's the king the long story that you don't want to hear no we definitely don't want to hear no, it Talk i don't even know where you're going with that, you about. Want to hear it. i'm sure it has to do with my sister <laughs> that's just weird anyways right. um now to your dad so Bob Scott, who the listeners uh, heard on the last episode with his guest appearance where we did our mailbag, so they're a little bit uh, introduced with him, but he grew up in Chicago as well, uh, played junior hockey in the USHL, if you can believe it, for Waterloo back when they were still had horses and carriages before they had cars. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah. And played a couple years of college hockey, University of Illinois, Chicago, which isn't a program anymore. And uh, he's been involved in the youth hockey game forever. So uh, very cool to get you guys on this. And uh, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having us. Hopefully the uh, audio will go through this time and uh, will be a huge success. <laughs> Hopefully. All right. So I got, a, I got a few questions to kind of start us off. Um, the first one, just to get a little bit more of a background. And, and uh, for anybody that's listening to the podcast, they know – how much Jeff and I just really have a lot of respect for people who who grind it out and people who earn what they get. And dad, I know that growing up, you 
um, you know, you had to earn your way to be able to play hockey by cutting lawns and, and, uh, making money. So you had to pay for your own hockey and stuff. It wasn't something that was naturally in the family and things like that. So, um, if you could just tell us a little bit about growing up in, in, uh, in the city or not in the city of Chicago, but right outside Chicago and, and how you came to fall in love with hockey and, and how that experience of having to kind of pay, pay your way to, to do it, how that went. So basically it was uh, watching Bobby Hull, um, Stan Makita, Glenn Hall um, on TV with my dad. It was on WGN way back then. And I was about nine, 10 years old when I kind of fell in love with hockey. I didn't start skating until I was late 10 year old and then started playing hockey when I was 11. Uh, but my mom and dad came from a uh, uh, you know, uh, an area in Chicago and moved out to the Burbs um, in the late 60s. And, you know, it was paycheck to paycheck for them. So having to pay for extracurricular activities was pretty tough. And I learned at an early age from my mom and dad who said, you know, if you want to play this sport, no problem, but you got to help. So I cut lawns. I was a camp counselor. I worked at the rink. Uh, I did uh, as as or as Phil did a billion games, um, I probably score kept uh, um, about half of those uh, with Phil at the old Rolling Meadows Sports Complex. So that's basically how how I got my start in into hockey. Do you think Do you think that having to pay your way a little bit and it it, uh, it added to like your passion for it because you had to. Yeah, you had to do it. Like it wasn't somebody giving it to you. Yeah. You know, I always tell people the reason I fell in love with hockey is because I uh, could hit people and not have to go to the principal's office. (laughs) Um, So being from the from the inner city, my dad, a good Irish Catholic, uh, you know, we were brought up with the tough love. And and I love that part of playing hockey. And when it was my turn to, you know, help out the family to make sure that I could do this. Um, I would do anything I could so that I could play. So two things, Uncle Bob, that's amazing. That's awesome. It obviously gives you powerful perspective when you have to pay for things to then be able to do them. There's no doubt about that. But uh, you used score keep, turned it into a past tense verb, score kept. Topher from Cornell, is that, does that work? Score kept? It works in this household. Does it? Hey, my wife was the Northwestern graduate. That's how we got the Cornell graduate. I was just asking. I never heard that as a past tense verb, but all right, I digress. Um, Should I have said I scorekeepered? I don't know. No, I was I was like being serious. I did not know if if that's a if that's a past tense verb. I, who cares, Jeff? That's way above my head. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. But. I'm Googling. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, Philly Cheese. Now, you got a pretty cool story of uh, when you were younger and refing, and you actually were very close to refing the 1980 Olympics, where I don't know if you would have been able to do the Maricon Ice game because you were an American, but um, it was a pretty interesting story. So can, if you can, tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Well, I had moved up pretty fast in the ranks and then I was 27 and Chet Stewart, um, some people might not remember him any longer. We still all do, but he was the 
refereeing chief for many, many years in what was originally the Amateur Hockey Association, AHAUS, now, of course, USA Hockey. And they send me a letter, spell my name wrong, of course, and say, congratulations, you're going to the World Junior Tournament in Finland. Now, I'd never done a junior game. I think the biggest thing I'd done was refing some 14-year-old missing teeth at Glenview, the guy sitting next to you, that's where I first met him, and refing with your grandfather, by the way, just so you know, I did a lot of games with uh, Bob Scott Sr. And I'm thinking, now you got to remember in those days, no camps, no training, nothing. And when I get to Finland, I am introduced to an individual named Carl Wilhelm Geisler. And he goes, or he says, hi, how are you? This And he goes, I go Olympic. And then I found out that they had picked Carl and myself for these two events they flipped a coin to decide who was going to one or the other. And either I won or maybe I lost, or maybe I lost and he won, but he's the guy who did the U.S.-Russia game, by the way. He's the guy. Now, I, I certainly would not have been able to do that game, obviously, but I remember seeing him. I go, hey, I met this guy. And as a political comment, I'll say he called that game exactly the way he should have. Remember, he called basically nothing. <laughs> and they killed and chopped each other, but that's exactly what he should have done in, in that, at that time. Maybe you wouldn't do it now, but that was the kind of the backstory on that one. That's very cool. Very cool. Like that's like kind of like history type stuff, isn't it? It is. And if I can throw one more thing. So I get a call literally a week after I get back from a guy named Ron Woody, who was yeah. the first president of the, yeah, you see in the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> he was the first president That's a hard one, isn't of it? HL, by the way. And at that point, they were going from a semi-pro, beat each other up every Saturday night to the Junior A-League. And he said, I saw you in Finland. I said, well, why in the heck did you come and see me? I had no one to talk to. And he said, we'd like you to be the first guy, uh, first referee from Chicago that's going to be in our new league. So I felt, I, I, I guess I better do a good job. So I went to Dubuque. A few other places, they liked what I did. Remember Steve Blickman? Uh, he was there. He was a goalie. And they asked me, are there any guys in Chicago who might want to play in our league? And I said, I got a guy for you. And that was the guy sitting next to you. He was your agent back in the day. He I was. guess I was. I didn't give you give me any money, but you gave me your <laughs> sister. Don't, don't, oh, don't, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I got real weird. But, but, that's how, but that's what started your your dad going to Waterloo. Right. And then I did do one of his games, too. I was really leery about that. Remember, Bob? That, yeah. That, but, um, yeah, and you did it. You played really well there, too. I was really proud of you. You represented Chicago very well. And your, 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 your dad was one of the first guys to really come from Chicago to play in that league. So he kind of led the way as a player, as I would like to think I did as a referee. That's awesome. That's very cool. History being made and uh, connections. Hockey world is very small. Very small world. <laughs> yeah. um, but speaking of, wanted obviously this is the Hockey Dad episode. And uh, 
you two are, we've referenced you quite a bit on this podcast and certain things that we've learned and gone through throughout our, our hockey careers. And I think Jeff would agree that we are probably very lucky and consider we almost won the, you know, the dad lottery when it came to helping us grow into the hockey players and people that we are in the game. And just wanted to ask you guys, you know, what was it like? Because, you know, obviously Jeff and I aren't hockey parents yet, but what's it like going through the ups and downs of a hockey career um, as a, as a hockey dad, Phil, why don't we go to you first? It's, it's very hard, especially when I decided I, I would coach him when he was little, coach his teams. I kind of wanted to protect him um, at that point from maybe becoming a AAA player too soon. I wanted to say just have fun. And Jeff has said that many times, I think, that I always told him just have fun. You're doing fine. You're learning. And you're only eight, nine years old or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you're just born. You're just born. <laughs> but – it, it, it's, it's difficult when you're, when you're coaching your, your son because you want to give him every opportunity to succeed and get better, and yet you don't want to look like you're playing favorites. So, um, so he always punished me all, all the time <laughs> and no one else so that he would like – he was like reverse psychologizing the team, you know, like I'm like, I, I didn't even do anything. But he was not the guy to play the favorite. So, yeah, I always respected you for that. You know, even knew that at a young age that you never did that when I would see other dads doing that. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of that growing up. Yeah. And I just did not want to do that with you. And then as you got better, uh, I think I coached you when you were a first-year peewee, and I said, that's it. And that's when you went AAA, I think. And I said, well, I'm done. I'm going to sit and watch. And I'm glad I did that, though. I'm glad I was able to – kind of protect you when you were younger let you have fun and by the way this kid actually refereed a game when he was seven years old wow the mini mic game a little helmet on and he's high-fiving the kid when they get a goal said jeff you're the ref <laughs> that's but <laughs> i made him referee um that's one thing that would be cool for you know everybody should referee at one point i'm sure you guys have talked about that but I said, you're going to understand the rules, and then, then you'll learn how to bend them. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you, Dad? What was it like? Ups and downs. Maybe, like, we'll start since Phil kind of went to the beginning. What, uh, what do you think? Just becoming a hockey dad to start and what that was like. Well, it, you know, we always knew that uh, our kids were going to play hockey. Um, your mom's, uh, your grandfather, Ira Greenberg, um, who was one of the ones who started uh, the Chicago Young Americans uh, AAA organization back in the early 80s. Um, once um, your mom and I got engaged and he was uh, traveling through uh, Toronto and came home with a box of equipment. It was literally a box of equipment. Had uh, pants and shin pads and shoulder pads and elbow pads. And then he bought uh, uh, skates at the same time. So we always knew that uh, you were going to get the gear, whether you were going to like it or not, we weren't sure. Um, but um, for me, I learned right away that um, no matter how much coaching I had done or how much hockey I had played, um, watching you play, I was like, holy crap, I can't believe um, some of the stuff he's doing. He's smarter than I am already. 
So I was never the head coach. Um, when you were growing up, I always tried to stay, you know, um, back behind the scenes as far as that was concerned. And uh, I had so much fun um, just watching the, the growth of the teams that you were on. Uh, you had some pretty good coaches, which was great. I think, you know, we were able to kind of, you know, know the coaches who were out there and, and steer you to the right spot. So I, I'm very happy with all of that. How different do you think and hard would it be to do what you did in today's world with Twitter and Instagram and social media and kids are so like looking at everything and people are, you know, Oh, he's better than like, it's like, it's insane. Like Tof was like the best player in the country or one of the top five for a number of years when he was young. Like Tof, you were disgusting everywhere I went, people were talking about you. Like it was insane. So like, how would you, how do you think you would handle that now with how crazy that is? Like, cause you're always working with kids. So you see this kind of thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's a tough question to ask because had, had I grown up with understanding how to use that or read that as a tool, um, you know, it's, it's not like I would have been, you know, blindsided um, with that kind of stuff. So I, I don't really know, you know, I mean, I'm a competitive person um, always have been, you know, there's been situations I've, I've had conversations with parents. I had a conversation one year with a parent where he literally said to me, um, and when I was trying to get his kid to, you know, to play on our team, he literally said to me, I don't know if there's enough pucks for my son and your son. <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, that kind of like took me back. Like I would never think that. So it took me by surprise when I heard that. Um, but you know, I mean, everybody, you know, you try and do what's best for everybody. I think that's the biggest thing. If you're looking out for what's best for everybody, you're going to have an opportunity to, uh, to do some nice things. If you're just trying to do something for your kid and that's it, I think that's where, where parents kind of fall off the rails. And I think that's what happens with the social media. It's so easy to jump on the social media and say something at the, at the heat of the moment. And, you know, it's, it's not very productive in that aspect, but on the aspect of kind of promoting different things that are out there, I think it does a great job. Well, let me ask you guys this, because you both have mentioned since we started this, that you took a step back. Like Phil, you said, once you got the peewees, you were done coaching. And then dad, you talked about being an assistant coach. Now, both of you obviously are very steeped in hockey and know a lot about hockey. Like, was that something that was difficult for you as a parent maybe thinking you could be doing a better job than the head coach or doing something mm -hmm. differently than the head coach, um, but still being good parents. And cause I, I mean, I've never seen you overstep or do anything like that. And Phil, I would imagine you're the same way, but um, dad, maybe I'll go to you first. Like, was that, did you ever feel that or what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I actually, I actually was trying to find good coaches. So I didn't have to be the head coach. And I'm a little bit different as a coach right now, but when you were younger, I was a pretty disciplined coach, um, but we were also pretty disciplined in the house. And so I felt that if I would have been the head coach, there would not be this father-son relationship um, built that needs to be built without all this discipline involved in it. And so I was very conscious of that because, of, because I knew how I was as a coach. Um, and, and we were lucky enough to be able to find 
um, the, the right people. And I think we talked about this in the podcast before is that we were always looking for good people. Obviously it was a plus that they were, you know, really good hockey people, which we were lucky to find at the same time. But our first thought was who is the person who my son's going to be with for the next nine months? And is he a good human being? And, and we were, we were lucky to find a lot of good human beings and we were, we were, fi- we're lucky to find uh, a lot of really good hockey coaches who could teach you the game and the way it was supposed to be played. Yeah. Phil, how about you? Until about 15 years old, it's the same thing as, as you're saying, Bob, is we were very fortunate all those years ago, there were pretty good experienced hockey people that when he, when, when you started as a second year peewee or you went to AAA that I knew were better coaches than I was for that level. And I, if, and if, and if I can also say, I think, what I also wanted to be able to do was to be able to discuss with you and or discipline you after a game or talk with you about a game and how difficult is that if you're the coach. And I didn't want to have that conflict any longer because I knew you wanted to progress. You needed to progress without me. And I think that went on until we hit about what, 15 and a half, 16. The coaches were still good here, but they were way better in Chicago. And fortunately, remember Coach Markey or, or Jim Markey saw, saw Jeff and asked him to live uh, with you for free. Cool. <laughs> but that was really a big turning point in your career. Um, it, it's very difficult to let your son move away at 15 and a half. But that's what you wanted to pursue. And we knew that's what you wanted to make a career out of. We'll be forever grateful that he did live with you. I don't think I would have allowed it to be honest with you unless it would have been your family. And I got a lot of uh, late night snacks out of that too. <laughs> what? Uh, you used to put your name on the food that you would bring home and put do not eat. And in our household, <laughs> Why you like, that? yeah, that's the first thing we're eating. <laughs> <laughs> that's because of me. <laughs> don't mess with Jeffrey and his food. Grandma would, grandma would load me up on food and I'd come, come back and UB's crushing it <laughs> <laughs> after he went upstairs for three hours. Uh, <laughs> I'm not biting. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting you say that, Dad, because I do. I remember like it was, I was a peewee bantam and you had me play. It was always my choice, but I, I would imagine as a 30, 40 year old trying to persuade or Mr. Miyagi me into the right decision. Um, there was probably a lot of that to do with it, but yeah, like I didn't play for the best team. I played for the best coach. So like there was one team with all the best players and the most talent, but you had me play for the best coach slash per, I think person was probably more than coach, even though he was a better coach too. Um, so I just thought that was interesting because I feel like today, even at the youngest ages, everybody tries to make all-star teams. Um, and it's just the talent pool gets to the top of the pyramid too young instead yeah. of just finding the right coaches, educating those coaches. And, and uh, But talk to us a little bit about just and, – and Stan. I mean, we've mentioned Stan on this podcast quite a bit. Uh, we should actually get Stan on this podcast, Jeff. That that needs to happen. I know people will be able to understand him, but <laughs> yeah, we need him. Um, but talk to us a little bit about that because, again, like I remember asking you, even like that, should I go play for like the better team? Because our team is 
bad, like talent wise, we weren't very good, but, um, and then, but at the beginning of the year we were getting smoked. And then by the end of the year, we were beating the talented teams. So talk, talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah. And, and that's kind of a combination of a couple of things. So when you went to play, um, triple I think as a, as a peewee, um, you had tried out for a team that you didn't make. Um, and then when you didn't make that team, there was only one spot available because we tried to go back to a team you played for the year before. And that organization didn't want anything to do with what, with us coach wanted you to play on the team, but the organization didn't. So we went, uh, we went to team Illinois and that's where Stan was coaching at team Illinois. And ironically, Stan didn't fill his roster, although he had players to fill that roster. And we went to the first um, summer skate at Niles and I saw what Stan did and I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. So um, you, that, that same spring when you got cut, you were asked to play on the best team, air quotes, um, but the coach of that team, we did not feel had the human being qualities that we wanted you to be around at that time. So, so yeah, so then you played for Stan that year and then you guys did great at the end of the year. Everybody was wondering how the heck did this team uh, get so good? Why, 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 why? Um, Tryouts came around for the following year and all the players that excelled on our team all went to play for that other team again. (laughs) And so we were really, as far as talent is concerned, depleted because those better guys went to that team who was going to win nationals. Um, and, oh, sorry, they didn't. And then, boom. Wow, there, was, there was like, there was some animosity for that oh, Peewee wow. national team. Wow. And then, and then, so the, the kids who made up the makeup of that team that year, that, that was probably one of the most fun teams um, that we were involved with. There were drummers and guitar players and trumpet players and uh, just a cast of characters that were out there. Um, but that team also excelled. And um, once, you know, once we could have gone to the other team um, and played there with no problem, there were conversations about that. But again, it was who was the coach going to be? And, uh, you know, when you measured what Stan could do opposed to what that other coach could do, um, and then the human qualities that were revolved around that also, that was uh, an easy decision to make. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, I think we're all a product of our experiences. And we get asked all the time, how did you, you know, how do you choose your team for your kid? Like, what team should you play for? And my, my answer is always, who's the coach? always who's the coach and that was my experience because I've seen it and I've lived it I was not on the most talented team but I had the best coach that cared about us and uh the way that we it's I mean youth hockey is all about getting better you have dreams of playing college hockey junior hockey NHL you have to get better you have to develop that's why so many people talk about development 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 and that doesn't happen without a coach that cares and that's what Stan was. And he was a man ahead of his times and, and uh, just fantastic experience. And how cool is it that like, you know, I'm sitting here listening to this and like, 
this is why we do this podcast. I'm watching your dad talk about it, watching his eyes light up in his face and the emotions he's saying, like that was from his son's hockey team 20 years ago. And he still remembers it. Like it's yesterday. Like that's how cool these memories could be that we could be making for kids in the game and teaching them lessons and stuff like that. So like, it's not just go to the team that's stacked. It's like, go to where the culture is better, go to where the coach is a better person. And he's wanting to develop everyone. And yet, you know, that type of stuff, like, because then it's something you'll remember forever. And the kids will grow up with like good uh, role models and stuff like that. Not just like win at all costs and cut little Johnny and parents fighting with each other over points. And like, it's a toxic environment that we got to get out of the game. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing too, that you mentioned was like, we always had great parent groups. Yeah. always had and a lot of that had to do with my mom was always the manager and you were always an assistant coach and I think that was something you guys invested a lot of time and effort into making sure that the parent group because I mean that can sink an entire season if the parents are at each other or, you know well, complaining will, about the coach and all that kind of stuff yeah I can tell tell you that when we go back to that that one team that was kind of in the middle there right when yeah. everybody left and, and it was just the that cast of characters Um, What I remember most about that team was getting together at parties at our house and everybody playing, uh, you know, their instruments and they would bring their instruments. What kind of party is this? Yeah, I'm telling you. And uh, the shinny was downstairs afterwards. Trust me. Um, But but I remember one time we uh, stopped at a at a rest stop and everybody got off the bus and we literally played soccer in the parkway um, for 45 minutes. Like everybody was ready to go, but we were all the kids and the coaches were out playing soccer, having a great time. And then finally the bus driver's like, come on, we got to go. That's awesome. So it's all about, you yeah. know, yeah. it is. It's what it's all about. Ask, ask me what championship we won that year, what tournament we won. I couldn't tell you. But you remember stopping on the side of the road. That's, yeah. I mean, that's what youth hockey is all about, right? It's the experiences, it's the memories, it's the nostalgia now. And um, the lessons. We learned a lot. Remember when, you had your championship team. You granted the AAA Blues uh, a game. <laughs> and I told people, I go, now, you know, these people are pretty good. And do you remember, you guys were so good that Stan had you play a period. The first line took their skates off, and he had you running the stairs. And people are going, what are they doing? I go, well, they're kind of kicking our butts is what they're doing. But he's instilling in them some qualities to say you – Got to keep your head in the game. Work hard. Work hard. Shape, yeah. You know, and actually, don't be embarrassed. He, but yeah, he actually did that for three years. So, so starting at the first year, and his thought there was that if you have three lines and you have three sets of defensemen, if you take five players and take them and let them go run or do calisthenics or whatever, they're getting something out of that while they're doing that. Now that those 10 players who are left are now playing every other shift. And when they're playing every other shift, yes, they're more into the game, their head is into the game. And then every period that would change. So each line did running and calisthenics for one period and each line played for two lines every period. And I can't tell you the questions and the, 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 the people on the other teams who were like, what are you doing? Are you trying to embarrass us? And this is when we had teams that weren't as talented, right? And, and he would sit and explain to people his philosophy, which I thought was excellent. Yeah, you need to have him on the podcast for sure. 
Yeah, I got a little off track there. Sorry. Well, it's all good. Well, I got a question that I want to ask you guys because I, I know it's something that a lot of parents deal with. And um, in my own private business, a training company, I'm always talking to parents and my clients. And, you know, I say you can call me as well as your son calling me for, you know, workouts or whatever, because parents, it's hard. Like when your kid gets injured or your kid doesn't make a team or, you know, something bad happens in his hockey journey. Like, what did you guys do? How hard was it for you? What do you think is the best? Is there anything you would do differently? That kind of thing. Start with you, Pops. Well, I can give a story where we, it was you and it was uh, an elite spring league team or something like that. No, and, <laughs> and you weren't playing hard. I, 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 w- I would tell parents, I said, you, you, you need to be able to talk to your, to your, to your, to your player Honestly, frankly, did you work hard enough? Did you not work hard enough? And that was you. You didn't work hard. You figured you made the team and Mr. Wensick cut you. And you were sitting in the back seat crying away. And I said, you didn't deserve to be on that team. I said, did you work hard enough? And sometimes parents don't do that now, do they? They, 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 they don't point the finger right away. Make the kid own up to it. Oh, this was tryouts, Dad. This was a tri- this was an elite spring. This was a tryout. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't make the team. Yeah, yep. I remember. Yeah. Yep. I didn't deserve to make it. And I was I wanted, but I wanted you. Well, the, 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 but the point that I wanted you to say that I wanted you to tell me that yes, I did not work hard enough. I did not deserve to be on that team. I personally think that was a pivotal moment in your career because I never had to say that to you again. That was huge. I, that was the catalyst to me liking working hard. Actually, I tell kids that one all the time. I got cut from STL Elite. Yeah, that was a, that was the literally the best thing that happened to me as in amateur hockey getting cut as a ten year old. To me being like, I don't want to have this feeling again. So don't point fingers, point thumbs, look in the mirror. What about you? Um, so you know, you were, you were pretty good hockey player and, you know, making teams was, I don't, I don't know how to say it. I mean, we, we were always pretty sure, you know, the teams you were going to make. Um, and then there was, when you were a peewee, a team that we really thought you were going to be on for a lot of different reasons um, that you didn't make. Um, and I think that was one of the, the harder times for us as a family and for you as a player, because you were like, well, you know, why didn't I make this team? And, you know, that's when we went to Stan and, and found Stan. And I'm, I hope our message was, um, you know, you didn't make that team. You know, we got to figure it out and we go to the next team and we make a commitment with this team and we do as best as we can and move forward. You know, you can't look back. Um, you know, at what shoulda, coulda, woulda, uh, you have to look yourself in the mirror, point the thumb, not the finger and, uh, and, and move on. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, Jeff, you mentioned like the pivotal moment in your career was, was getting cut. I think, and you said it was the best thing that ever happened to you. I, I totally agree with mine too. I think one of the most pivotal moments in my career is when I, uh, when I tore my ACL my senior year of high school and went from so many schools talking to me and offering me scholarships and stuff to, to zero. And I distinctly remember like having conversations with, with you guys and with my support group, if that's what you want to call it. And it was like, you guys almost like didn't let me pout. Yeah. You know, like I was not allowed to feel sorry for myself. And with that, like, you know, I wasn't going to be play hockey for four or five months or whatever 
whatever it was. And I think that was more your mother. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Um, but it's just it's it's interesting because I think about that time now and I think about how much I missed playing hockey, but also how much like I enjoyed and I don't want to say every minute of it because it sucked, but like I lay that's where I learned to have a positive attitude about things and how to have an attitude of like prove people wrong. And I've always kind of had that, but you have that but that that there when I went from the top of the world to, to the bottom, literally the bottom. And, but it, like, you guys just, you didn't let me make excuses at all. And I think that I have so thankful for that because without it, I, I would not have gotten to where I got to. Yeah. It's massive. And me being in coaching only two years now, I mean, I've, I've coached for like the last like eight years, but like some of it was just spring when I would come home and help out or summer, not real coaching. Now this is my second year real coaching. And, uh, you know, not, nobody does it really with me, but like, I see it and I hear the stories from other coaches and parents, just like a kid gets sat and it's a phone call from the parent. Why do you get sat? Like, and it's just, and it's like in front of their kids, like their kids know, and every kid on the team knows that the mom and dad are always calling the coach. And it's such like a toxic thing to teach your kid. Like, that's not even, not even talking about hockey, just like life. Like you want to know why you're not playing. You call the coach and ask to have a meeting and you talk to him and it's going to be hard and you're going to get emotional. But the more you do these things, the better you get. And I can tell some of the kids who are older now that I have that never, whose parents probably did not make them do those kind of things. And they, when they hit roadblocks in their hockey journey or life journey, they take it a lot harder because they haven't hit those things yet and they weren't forced to, you know, confront them themselves. So like parents use hockey as a life teaching vehicle more so than anything else. Yeah. You're not going to be able to call your kids boss yeah. <laughs> when they're, when they're out of college and stuff. Yeah. We used to make you do that. We, yeah, I know. There, were, there were times when he like in, in Omaha, I'm not getting a month of time. What am I doing wrong? I said, well, grab yourself by the seat of the pants, as they say, and go talk to, go talk to Hastings or whatever, you know, march yourself in there and ask why and, and take the answer and then work, work hard with it, which you did. I was really proud of you a number of times that you've made yourself do that. Cause I know you did. It made you better, especially dealing with, with Hastings, especially him, but that's what helped you going forward in the remainder of your career. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the adversity was definitely the teacher. And you guys allowed us to hit it and hit it hard. And But, like, how was that for you guys when we were hurting? Maybe not, like, physically, but, like, mentally. Because in everybody's career, and, I mean, you guys can probably sense it in your kids when things aren't going well and you're feeling down or whatever it may be. Like, how hard is that to process as a parent? And what were the kind of emotions that you guys would go through when we were going through some of those tough times? Well, I can say that, you know, your mother, Debbie and I, um, have, you know, a great relationship as far as being able to play off of each other. But then at the same time, we're also there for each other when those things happens with, with all of your kids, you know, it's really tough to see your kids go through difficult times. And we, we always call it, you know, the, the safe place to speak in our house, you know, where nothing is going to leave there. And we would do the same thing, in our bedroom uh, saying, Hey, we're not going to talk about this anywhere else. And I can only say this to you and kind of get your feelings out about how badly you are hurting, you know, for your kids when they are going through really tough times. 
um, but then agree on a positive message that we're both going to give and walk out of there and both try and give that same message of positivity and to move forward and to find ways to get through it. And I think that that's, uh, I think that that's really important um, in general, but for sure for, for your mom and I, it, uh, it, it was a way of coping and getting through those times when you got hurt because we knew how you were feeling. We knew you were going to come out of it on the, on the, on the better end of it. Um, but certainly going through it is, uh, is a tough experience for the whole family. Colleen's really good about knowing when to say something to you, when to try and draw something out of you and when not to say something where I just kind of say, like I said, just go in there and talk to the damn guy and be done with it. But (laughs) you know, um, she's really good about that where I think maybe you and I, Bob, deal with our, our hockey experience and just say, ah, just deal with it. And, but she's really, she's always been really good about that. And sometimes both of you guys would keep stuff bottled in a little bit too, too much, maybe to, well, I don't want to say anything, but they're really Debbie and, and Colina, I think have always been really good about making you guys talk and tell us what's going on. And then if we felt the need to, then we could make a suggestion. Man, you guys are always good with that. No doubt about it. Never overstepped ever. Yeah. Yeah. How about the good times though? Like what's your guys' favorite memory? Phil, what's your favorite memory of youth hockey with Jeffrey? In youth hockey? Yeah. Or hockey in general, whatever. Well, there's a couple. One, one was, well, just, just, just seeing you get really confident in your abilities. Um, sometimes I think you always kind of played it down a little bit. And I said, do you, do you understand how fast you are and how skilled you are? And no, I'm not a skilled player. Yes, you are. And how proud of uh, how how proud of you we are that you made a decision to leave your home. It's, as you said, 15 and a half year, years old. How many kids would do that to pursue what they know they want as a career? How many people know what they want to do at 15 and a half or 16 years old? And even though you were living with family, you weren't living with us. And then to go to Omaha for three years after that. So and, my entire career is your favorite. <laughs> you know, the question was, what's your favorite moment? It's like, well, he was born. <laughs> and then he died. <laughs> and he played hockey, and I loved all of it. Uh, that was the moment. Uh, I'll just say one of the best ones when you were okay. So when you were younger, Pee Wee Quebec was a lot of fun seeing you. I think you gained a lot of confidence because you played really well at that tournament. Remember tying the one goal and getting the goal in the shootout or whatever. One of the things I was most proud of too, is we went to see you play at Lincoln um, when you were at, 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 at Omaha and you were kind of worried about not getting a scholarship and I need to, what's going on here. And there was a guy from Western there to watch a different kid. And your cousin here just went nuts in a couple of plays. I won't, but just crazy. Shut the whole place down. And he comes off the ice and the Western guy, whoever the scout was, I don't know who it was, said, you know, I was there to look at someone else, but I got to tell you, kid, you really played really, really well. And that's when you decided to go to a visit. And one of my proudest moments was you called me from, from Lawson. You said, dad, this is where I want to go. So I felt that we had maybe built enough confidence in you and you knew enough where you knew right away, this is where I want to play. Told you're the same way with Cornell, right? Probably call your old man said, this is where I want to be. 
Yep. Yeah. Now leave it at that. <laughs> there we go. What about you? So I, you know, I would have to say um, your entire career is probably the highlight of my memory. <laughs> so, no, <laughs> um, I, I would say for sure the national championship year was um, one of the highlighting memories of, of your career because there was so much effort um, by a lot of good people put in for those three years and a lot of a lot of conversations with a lot of good people and a lot of people looking at us um, like we were crazy at what we were doing and why we were doing it. With Stan. With Stan. Yeah. And, and then to kind of come through all of that and, and have people believe in what a group of us were doing um, and, and then to, to, to win the way that we won against, you know, some of the players that we played against. Um, it was it was very gratifying for for that to all kind of work out that way, and then you know the other one I would say is is definitely just the whole Cornell experience. Um, you know, watching your kid play college hockey is is amazing. Um, watching you go through the ups and downs there, um, fantastic. And the the one picture that I always see in my head um, is is the picture of you. Doug Krantz and Ray Zawada after the Colgate game, which was your last game that you played. And uh, Zawada and uh, Krantz are 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and then, um, you know, you barely reached their shoulders in the picture, but all you guys are hugging each other. And it, it was just, that that's a memory that's kind of etched in my brain, um, you know, watching all your hard work uh, for all those years and, and the memories that it brought, um, the many memories that it brought. It's just really cool. Yeah. That was a funny picture. Yeah. Yeah. There were three of us seniors in our senior class and we were playing in the consolation game, in the ECAC tournament, cause we had lost in the semis. And so we knew that we weren't going to make the NCAA tournament that year. We missed it by like a team or two, yeah. but we knew that. And, uh, so we knew we were playing our last game, which that never happens. How do you know you're playing in your last game? But just because of the consolation game. So it was a very surreal game to play in, yeah. knowing it was your last college hockey game. And uh, I actually got an assist in that game, I remember. And the guy who scored is Justin Kruger, whose dad is Ralph Kruger. Oh, right. coaches Buffalo Sabres right now, uh, who's the greatest guy in the world, by the way. Shout out to you, Ralph. He was unreal. Just awesome guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean – walking off that ice and i mean jeff you probably knew you were playing in your last game or at least your last year you were going to sign afterwards but it's just like it's a weird feeling knowing that's the last time you're going to take that jersey off you put so much blood sweat and tears into it and um it was a little bit different for me i didn't i wasn't signing an nhl contract by any means <laughs> um but still like what was that like for you playing in your last game I was excited. <laughs> I was, I was, <laughs> I was ready for a new challenge. I mean, obviously a lot of mixed emotions. I was going to miss my teammates. We had 10 or 11 freshmen that started at Western together. Um, we lost one, um, that got, that got caught after freshman year, but we had a huge class and we were all really good friends. So, um, you know, I was definitely good. I knew I was going to miss the boys and the, and the camaraderie and stuff like that. But like, I should have left after my sophomore year looking back. Like there's no doubt in my mind. It was the dumbest professional mistake I made other than getting a concussion in the summer that ruined my career, but I was not talking about that one. Um, 
but uh, I knew my last game ever professionally was going to be my last game too. Like knowing I knew my business had gotten to a point where I was like, I'm going to start doing this now and keep my head safe and not have to worry about it anymore. And um, so that was definitely weird. Like I was, I just, I had energy. Like I had so much energy in that game. It was insane. Cause I knew, all right, I can literally spend every ounce of energy. I'm never playing a real game again. So that was interesting. That was hard to take my Jersey off after that one. But um, you know, also excited for the next chapter too on that one. Yeah. You want to hear a funny story? So my last game ever that I played down in Rio Grande Valley. So our team wasn't great that year. We weren't going to make the playoffs and my last shift ever playing hockey. uh, The puck was going, I was on the bench and the puck was going from our offensive side to the defense. And they had like a three on two or something like that. And the guy that I was going to change for ends up changing on the back check I hop on the ice, take one step, get the minus. They score. They score. <laughs> <laughs> that was a minus in my last shift ever. <laughs> and the guy who changed, I was like, really? It was one of those ones where it's like, I can back check or I can change and not get the minus. Oh, and, uh, and, he, and he changed and didn't get the minus. I did. So did you know it was going to be your last game too? Yeah, I did. Was yeah. his name Andrew? <laughs> no. I uh, oh yeah. What's his name? <laughs> say his name on here so we get him back. I, I won't. I won't say his name. Oh, you're too pure of heart. But uh, it was just. It was just funny that like I, I literally stepped on the ice, and the year was kind of a gong show to begin with. The team wasn't very good and stuff, and I'm like, of course, of course, I'm gonna step on the ice, take two steps, and and ding, boom, minus, boom. So, yes. so let me ask you two guys a question. Do you think parents today? talk about their experiences with their hockey players like we are right now like no. after the fact or while they're in it both because we i think that's what separates maybe our generation bob is 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 we we talked about it a lot but we enjoyed it i remember really enjoying watching him do well watching him do not so well if if, if that makes sense but just the experience and, and maybe like you guys have said many, many times, they get so caught up in it that they can't watch it, watch it objectively. Yeah. It gets pretty intense now, I think. Yeah. I wonder, like, I wonder that I wonder maybe not at the younger ages, but maybe when kids get a little bit older and a little bit more mature, if parents would be comfortable in telling their kids how they feel from an objective standpoint, um, and not even necessarily about like what the kid is doing in the game, but like literally how they feel about the situation that's going on. And if that would help, um, I, any kind of dialogue that's, that's honest and healthy between a parent and a kid, I think could be a good thing. And as a kid, like you never know what your parent is going through. We've never been parents. So we have no idea the feelings that you have or the thoughts that you have or the things that you have to go through as a parent, which I'm sure isn't easy at all. Is that kind of what you're talking about, Phil? Because you guys talk about it all the time. And it's great that you not only try and educate the players, but you also, can I say, you give it to the parents too. Yeah. Well, let let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because, I mean, I put together a parent guidebook and you helped me with that. Right. Um, And mom helped me with that. And uh, I've had so many people that have downloaded it uh, from my website. So if, if there's any parents listening, go to the hockeythinktank.com and it's under resources. There's a free parent guidebook that you can download. Um, what would be some advice that you guys have for any parents that are listening to this right now that are steeped in their child's journey? Um, 
take two steps back and enjoy the ride. Um, let them fail. Let them communicate. Don't be that parent who has to be involved in every aspect of their life, of their growth. Um, I, Toph, I think you've written about this many times. Um, you know, the way to move forward is to fail and learn how to pick yourself up and learn how to get yourself moving forward. And as parents, it is hard to watch your kids go through rough times. It is hard to see them get cut from hockey teams to not play well. But the more we try and do things for them and don't let them um, work on those skills on their own, um, it, we're not doing them a service. Uh, at the end of the day, um, I think that, that there are many parents who try and do too much for their kids and don't let them kind of go through life um, you know, failing, uh, succeeding, um, make wrong decisions, make good decisions. And then, you know, you can always talk about it after the fact. You can always, and, and, and don't get me wrong, as a parent, if you think your kid's going to make a terrible decision, um, and it's a major one, there's always ways of guiding, um, you know, those kids to, to make a better decision, especially when they're younger. And, and why I say that is because I hear all the time parents say, well, we're going to this other organization here. I know he's only nine, but we're going there. He made the decision. He wanted to move to the other organization. B.S. It's the ego in the parent that is moving to the other organization um, because they feel that that's a better organization to go to. If that's true and they do feel it is, don't put it on your kid. Just be honest and tell the people that's why you're moving. So that's my two cents on that. That was like eight cents. I know it was. I, you hit a chord there. <laughs> Couldn't tell. <laughs> I'm triggered. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> How about you, UP? All right. Well, one, again, enjoy the moment. It goes by so fast, but uh, I still remember just all the levels you played at and Jesus college years went so fast and then watching you turn into professional and following you around the world really was pretty cool. And how, if, if I can say this, how your enthusiasm, your personality, people read that really well. I mean, you look at the way that people just adored you. I mean, really, and the, the way the fans were. And no, you, we're asking for advice here, not a general. his own tires enough here. So yeah, but, uh, say, <laughs> not uh, kidding. <laughs> I can see where I get it, I guess. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, just, but just enjoy the moment. Remember everything that you saw. And then the second place is, the second one is encourage dialogue. Talk to the kids. Talk to your player um, when necessary. Sometimes they don't need to be talked to if they did well or maybe didn't do so well. I think knowing when to not say something is important too. Maybe today though, the parents just don't say enough because there's no, no, I think it's, yeah, I, I would guess it's probably the opposite yeah. more often than not. It's, I don't see it. <laughs> no, I think it's more often than not too much. And I could be wrong, but that is my personal experience. Well, that's, that's a, I mean, that's a good segue because one thing we ask a lot of, a lot of people that come on the podcast, you know, we've asked Marty St. Louis, we've asked some, some other people who have gone on to do some really cool things in hockey that have kids in it now. Like what was the car ride home? what was that like for you and, and your dad? And then what is it like for you now as a dad? 
having having a kid. So you know, you talk about knowing when to say something, knowing when not, how to talk to your kid, and things like that. A lot of that has to do with the car ride home because a car ride home is fresh. It's right afterwards. It's usually just the two of you. Um, so Phil, for you, I'll ask you first. What was your um, what was your philosophy? What did you do on the car ride home with Jeff? To be honest with you, I try to say as little as possible. I, 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 I kid you not, unless I felt he did not respect the other players, did not respect the game, did not behave properly, totally different from making a mistake, right? Everybody makes mistakes, in all aspects of life, but I, I tried to make sure that I would talk to him if I felt he just didn't something just, or, or did something that really wasn't right. But then after that, I would kind of let it go because I, I, I didn't want it to be all consuming. If, if that makes sense, you know, like let it go. The game's over. We, we got another one in two days or whatever it is. Let, let's, let's, let's move on to something else. Love that. How about you? Uh, well, this is, <laughs> This is actually one of my main topics in my parent meeting from, you know, whatever, 20 years ago, whatever it was. I remember getting in the car after a game, we're driving home, and Topher's, I don't know, 11, 12, whatever it is. And because I played hockey, I'm not going to be one of those parents because I know better and I know hockey. So blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So we're driving home and Tof's in the back seat in his high voice. <laughs> can we not talk about hockey in the car? And I looked at myself in the rear view mirror and I went, Oh my God, I'm one of those. And that really, that affected me um, deeply because I thought that because I played hockey and because I was a coach, that I wasn't going to be that guy, but that definitely made me um, think about that car ride home. Um, so much so is that's part of my spiel at the beginning of the year when we give our our little spiel with our uh, with our teams, and I say, don't don't be like me, don't be that guy. You know, the car ride home should be a a safe place. If you want to say, hey, you know, you did great, or hey, maybe you could have worked harder, uh, that's great. Um, but don't belabor, don't go into detail. If they want to talk about it, fine. And we kind of made that deal where I said, okay, um, you know, fine. We won't talk hockey. Um, I go, if you ever want to talk about it, um, you know, you can talk about it and make sure though, that when I keep discussing it, that you tell me to shut up. <laughs> yeah. Don't be that guy. Just you don't wear socks with sandals. You don't wear white after Labor Day. And you don't talk about hockey in the car with your kid if he doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, Jeff, I'll, I'll ask you this. Uh, we've asked our, our dads about kind of their favorite memories. What about you? What's one of your favorite memories with your dad in the game? Mm, that's a good question. I just honestly, even though I personally absolutely hated refing, um, it's the only job I ever had other than professional hockey player. And then now, um, uh, owning my own training company. Uh, my dad made me ref from like seven until, uh, probably 18, maybe I think I probably often, stopped off. But once, cause I think what happened was, um, I played, I was refing when I came back from juniors and there was some idiot screaming at me the whole game. And I was like, 
where do you play? I play in the USHL. <laughs> that was the last game I remember refing because I was like, well, now I know that I'm better than these coaches who are coaching like mini my house. And if they yell at me, I'm going to snap because I think I'm tough now. I'm, you know, 17 years old, whatever, playing the USHL. I've been in a couple fights. I think I'm sweet, even though I got beat up. Um, and so I was like done with refing. But like my dad and I refed a lot of games. And uh, those, those were a lot of good times. You know, he'd always pay me the cash that whatever – whatever the, you know, I was making for the game, 30 bucks, whatever. Well, I think he'd usually give me like double what he said he was getting. Cause he just wanted me to like, like refing probably. So if I was getting <laughs> money, he would, he would, I would sign the check over to him, whatever would come in the mail and he would pay me like 40 right after the game. So um, definitely refing with, with that was cool. And, and he never let coaches talk shit to me though. He, he never let, I never see my dad. I've seen my dad mad twice in my life. One time when I threw a pen at my sister and it got stuck in her leg and he <laughs> me when it, when he came threw home. a pen and it got stuck in her. Yeah. Leg. Yeah. And I can't throw either. So I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> he came in and booted me hard. And I never after Alan dad was at home again. And the, the other time is anytime a coach would lay into me when I was refing, he would be like, you get out of here. You don't talk to him that way. It's so clear. He was my dad, but uh, those were really good times. You guys got to ref games together, huh? Oh yeah. All, all the time. All the time. Like from seven on. Like, you were, you were, as you got older, no, I was you were, no, you weren't. You were one of the best natural referees I ever saw. You just didn't want, you, you did it for one reason. Money. Money. <laughs> Give me the quad. The only reason is because I pay him after the game. Jeff, come <laughs> do the game with me. Have a skate. But, and I, and I would tell you, Jeff, you got to call penalties. Yeah, you, you call penalties. Yeah. I give you credit for it. Even you, you didn't know the rules. Man, refing is hard, dude. Refing is hard. Like now that I'm a coach, I really try not to yell. And Toph and I talk about this all the time. But like, refing definitely did give me perspective to not yell at refs because I also thought I could because my dad was who he was, the president of refs. So I thought I could yell at refs. But then when I started refing, I was like, that's not fun to get yelled at. I tried not to yell at them. I definitely did. Apologies to all of you in St. Louis and all over the world. Um, but uh, it definitely gives you more respect for the game. And I think any parent who like is a known like crazy person in the stands, their organization should ask them to ref a couple games. That would be the only punishment they'd ever need. Yeah. Yeah. Or same thing if you're a coach. If you're yeah. always yelling about the coach, then uh, – and, and Stan did that. Stand. I think we've told this story. Yeah, on that's a great story. I'll tell it again. I mean, we have some. We have a lot actually of new listeners, so probably tell the story again. But so Stan, our first year, we were with him. Uh, we had this guy. His dad was. I'm not even kidding. His name was Richard Hertz, Dick Hertz, um, and he was always behind the scenes, according to you, talking about Stan and how he didn't know what he was talking about and. Yep. You know, he was an idiot and yada, yada, yada. So Stan being Stan says caught wind of it or somebody told him or whatever. So he said, okay, like, you think you can, you're talking all this stuff. You think you can do a good job. You come run practice. Yep. So the guy comes out to run practice and he couldn't even skate. <laughs> he couldn't even <laughs> skate. So, and I th- I'm sure all the parents were oh, there watching. It was a great visual. Yeah. And uh, I remember, I'm, well, I didn't know this story until years later. Right. But I remember just being like, why is, why is, why is Ricky's dad running practice today? And it was just yeah. like the weirdest thing. And then he comes out and he literally can barely even skate yeah. and stand up and he's trying to have us run drills. And 
we're like, what is going on right now? Stan, can you please step in here? <laughs> seriously. That's seriously, it was like that. That's so so what is your favorite memory with me, young Steed? Young Steed. Um, I don't know if I have like one specific memory. The one thing that I always remember with you is like you always made it a lot of fun you were always the assistant coach but you were always making it fun in practices like with the with the players in the locker room we always kind of horsing around and and things like that like everybody loved you and like after we won nationals my dad's I think he said if we won nationals we would be able to cut his hair in the locker room yeah so I don't know who somebody bought a a Clippers. Yeah, oh, Maybe no, it was you. No, it wasn't me. Somebody brought uh, play school scissors. <laughs> was that what it was? So when they cut my hair, it hurt like hell because <laughs> they were so dull. That's awesome. So we like literally every single person on the team got Took the scissors. I thought it was Clippers. Maybe it wasn't. No. And we got to cut like a piece of his hair out and Unreal. put it in the garbage can in the uh, in the in the locker room. And that was where Bobby was keeping it tight too. He was laser hair removing his chest. <laughs> he was lasering his arms. He was always telling me his body fat was. But I wasn't stripping. Yeah, you weren't stripping. You know, he, he was. He had a personal trainer. Bobby kept it tight. Bobby was toy. Bobby went through probably the worst midlife crisis we've ever. And you were around when that happened. Yeah, that's awesome. One percent, baby. What a twelve percent body fat. Chocolate body paint hanging around the house. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> Nutella. What the hell? This isn't Nutella. <laughs> going on in this kitchen when I go out of town on hockey trips. <laughs> moving on, Jeffrey. Moving <laughs> on. Moving on. Moving on. Um, well, the, the one last thing that I wanted to ask you guys is a lot of times parenting in hockey is a partnership for sure between the, the mom and the dad. Um, we've had our moms on the podcast and that's honestly one of the most well-received ones that we've ever done. I think we've gotten, aside from uncle Tim's, um, we had the most feedback probably from our mom's episode with, uh, a, a lot of hockey moms reaching out to us and saying, thank you. And episode 25, check it out if you haven't heard it. Was. <laughs> um, but so for you guys, what was it like having hockey moms that were the boss? I mean, they, the families didn't run without the moms. Um, and they did so much for our hockey careers. What was that like having two partners that were able to, to do that in such a great way? All right. Uh, well, Colleen, of course, grew up in a hockey family, so she's very knowledgeable. She also was very involved, too. She was the registrar at Creve Corps. Of course, remember, she was Zombo's assistant. She still is the accountant or whatever the heck she is for AAA. So she checks all the money coming in or whatever. But, but, be, but beyond that, I mean, just the knowledge of and the experience of watching you, Bobby, play. And, of course, hooking up with <clears throat> me, <laughs> uh, learning the rules. But, but really, all, you know, all, all joking aside. It, I don't it think awesome. handcuffs were part of the rules. Mm, ooh. <laughs> All right, I'll let that one go too. But, 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 but it's really nice. It was really always fun to have somebody who understood what I was going through, what you were going through, Jeff, you know, your ups and downs, as opposed to somebody who maybe was from a different, you know what I mean, more, more of a baseball family or football family, somebody who understood all that. 
And don't forget, like I said, she got to see you all those years and drove you to games, I guess, and stuff and whatever. And, um, and that's how we hooked up at one of your games, if you remember. <laughs> Jeez. But, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, but, but that, that, it, it, it's always been very interesting, our discussions about, about that. I mean, a, a, about you guys in general and just hockey in general and the changes in the game that we've seen too. Yeah. How about you? So, like I said before, Debbie's dad um, was one of the ones who started CYA. And so she, she grew up in a hockey family. Her brother and I played college hockey together. That's how we met. So, you know, going through the ups and downs of, of your kids' hockey careers with somebody who really understands it um, from an organic level really, um, I think, is special. You know, I don't know if I could have married anybody else who didn't understand that, who didn't understand the commitment that a hockey family makes and truly enjoyed making that commitment. And so with, with her and I together uh, going down this journey, um, even today I'm still coaching, obviously, and um, we arrange our date nights around uh, the might and squirt hockey schedule. Um, and like I said, I, I, I don't think I could have married anybody else. Um, she, she was a chairperson for two, maybe three national championships. She always managed the teams. We were a great partnership in that I would do the uh, hockey side of it and look out for everything with the hockey side of it. And she would um, be the one in the background managing the team, but with the understanding that we have to have help. We have to get the parents involved. We have to make sure that we have social events so that we act more as a family rather than just a team. So mm, I love you, Debbie Scott. Quit sucking up. <laughs> no, just kidding. And Debs was the bomb. I hate hey, dude. My dad, uh, this is crazy. He hasn't cried yet. I know. I was just thinking, like, when are when are they coming, or is he crying from some other orifice? Well, you know what? We've done this twice, yeah. and so I've managed my emotions yeah. better this time. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. Well, appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. We have had some people that have um, asked to do a dad's one, and uh, so we apologize for the weight, but we, we, I don't even know. We did this, like one of our first ones, remember doing it in your bedroom in Chicago. We were all yeah. sitting around the computer. That would, that had to have been like a year ago, man. Yeah. It's cray cray. Yeah. Um, but, uh, again, we haven't done this yet, but we want to thank as we do with every episode, we want to thank everybody that is, has tuned in to listen to us and, and helping us spread the, the positivity and the hockey joy to the rest of the hockey community. Uh, again, this this podcast has absolutely taken off, and the reason it has is because of you, and we really appreciate your support. We really appreciate your feedback. Again, if you can, uh, send us a, a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Uh, those things go a long way in, in helping us to, to you know spread our message even more. Uh, we want to thank Gel Sticks, our title sponsor for the podcast. Uh, they've been awesome uh, again to us and uh, it's been really cool because people have actually used our, our coupon code to uh, to buy some sticks as well. So they're an unbelievable training aid stick. And if you want one, go to gelsticks.com. It's G-E-L-S-T-X.com and use coupon code think tank and you'll get a discount on your sticks. 
And uh, again, we're having so much fun. This was a fun one for me. It was a fun one for you guys too. Cheese. Love you, great. brother. Always great, brother. <laughs> bunch of beauties. <laughs> and uh, again, hope you guys enjoy your week. And thank you for spending uh, an hour of your day with us. Hopefully you're in the car with your son or with your daughter on your way or to the rink or, or home from the rink. And